Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I am one of the pastors here, and we are delighted that you are here with us this morning. I want to start by telling you a little bit about my experience in junior high. I don't know if you remember being a junior higher. Maybe some of you are in junior high. I know some of us act like we're in junior high. But when I was in sixth grade, I don't remember many people paying attention to what we wore or being cool. But when, in, when I was in seventh grade and I got off the bus and I walked on to that, that school campus, I remember walking in to the school and seeing all these different groups and tribes of people. And we saw kids, we saw the football players, we saw the cheerleaders, we saw the kids that were goth, they were like all black. We saw the rednecks. And uh, they were wearing skinny jeans before skinny jeans was cool. And they had the big old belt buckles the size of dinner plates. And uh, then we had skateboarders. And I just seen all these different kinds of kids, different groups, different friends. And I began to wonder, as this new seventh grader, where am I going to fit in? Who, who am I going to be able to be friends with? Who am I going to be able to connect with? And as I began to question and wonder all of those things, I began to change who I was. I began to reinvent who I was so that I could fit in. I changed the way I dressed. I changed the way I acted, the way I talked, the music I listened to, all so people would like me. I desperately wanted to be liked and accepted by everybody at my junior high. That's called the fear of man. I was craving their acceptance and their approval. See, I had a fear of rejection, I had a fear of failure, and I desperately wanted to be liked and approved by others. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all struggled with, with fear to some degree or another. Fear is a part of the human condition. And I think that most of us struggle with fear and worry more than we're willing to let on. In fact, for some of you, fear consumes your life. Maybe for some of you, you've experienced this where you've gone to an event or you've gone to a party and maybe you wore a new pair of shoes or you wore a new outfit or you did your hair a certain way or you, you had a story or a joke you wanted to tell and you were hoping to make an impression. And as you left that event, you realized nobody mentioned your shoes, nobody cared what you wore, Nobody realized you had new earrings, and nobody laughed at your joke, and you just felt really discouraged. That's the fear of man. That's that fear of rejection. That's that craving for approval. And you know, fear can be a good thing, too. Fear keeps us safe as we drive through the snow and ice, right? Fear might keep you safe as you walk by that strange dog, but fear can also be all-consuming and totally cripple us. Fear and worry can totally consume our lives. And as you look around, I see fear everywhere. Sometimes it's disguised as pressure or stress or worry or jittery, but it's everywhere. Sometimes it, it even comes up in anger. You ever wanted something or you ever felt like something was at risk of being lost or taken away? That's fear. And then what happened? You got angry. Fear is everywhere. 
So how do we battle, how do we fight against fear and worry? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at what does the Bible say about fear and worry. Did you know the most frequent command in all of Scripture is do not be afraid? It occurs over 300 times. I'm convinced that God knew that you and I would wrestle with fear and worry. And so these are themes that are all throughout Scripture. So if you have your Bible, go to Judges chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put it on the screen behind us. As you're looking for Judges chapter 6, let me give you a little bit of context of what's going on. You see, Israel had found themselves in this cycle where they would forget about what God was doing, and after they forgot about what God was doing, they would disobey. And after they would disobey God, they would experience some consequences. They would experience a type of disaster. They would be enslaved to the hand of their enemies. And after they experienced that disaster, they would cry out for help. And after they would cry out for help, God would send a judge or a deliverer. And after that, they would be delivered. And then they would forget again. And they would go around this cycle, around and around and around. And that's where we find Israel now. They have been given over into the hand of the Midianites. And the Midianites, they're a bunch of camel jockeys. They're like raiders. They swoop in. You're, you're harvesting your crops. They steal all of your food. And then they're out of there. And they're never there for any period of time. They just come long enough to take your stuff, and then they disappear. And finally, after seven years of oppression, Israel cries out for help. That's where we are. Judges chapter 6. Let's look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orpah that belonged to Joash, the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has ab ab abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. See, God sees and he hears their cry for help and he's listening. That's good news. That's hope that we live for a God. We serve a God that hears our prayers and he answers. But see, Gideon is there. He's working in secret. Gideon has a major fear problem. I don't know how many of you have ever, ever threshed wheat, but typically you do that on the top of a hill. 
right? You want to get on the top of the hill and you bang out this wheat and you break off the grain and then you, you gather all of the kernels and you kind of grind it up and then you take all that you've grinded up and you throw it up as you're on the top of the hill and the wind comes along and maybe it blows the kernels a foot or two feet over and all of the chaff blows away. That's how you would typically do it. But the Midianites, they would see Israel doing that, they would ride in on their camels and they would steal all of their stuff. They would take their food. And so Gideon is not on the top of the hill. He's likely hiding in a cave in a wine press, threshing wheat under in this cave. It's not going very well. It can't be going very well. I mean, if you've ever seen I Love Lucy, you find your, your friends you f- who have hopefully the cleanest feet in the group, and you start smashing all of the grapes down, right? And all of the juice flows into a container. That's where he's threshing wheat. It's a terrible idea. It's kind of like mixing Kool-Aid and onions together, and he is absolutely terrified. Gideon is running scared. And God comes to him. And, and you know, He's afraid, and he has some options, right? When you face a bully, you have options. A, Gideon could just grab the biggest club he could find and say, come at me, right? B, he could gather some friends and say, let's go face these guys. Or, or C, if there's, a, if there's a lot of them, you could gather your own army and say, get off my land, get out of here. But he does none of those. He decides, I'm just going to hide, I'm going to cope, I'm just going to keep my nose down and stay out of the way and live in fear and worry. And it is dominating his life. You and I have an option. We can fight and battle fear and worry. Or you can just cope, do nothing. So how do we battle that? Gideon has a fear problem and a theology problem. What he believes about God is twisted. It's distorted. The angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you. You're a mighty man of valor and you are hiding down here. God says, I am present with you. I'm right here with you. When I'm afraid, I'm typically not thinking of God. When I am consumed with worry, I have forgotten about his presence. Have you ever experienced that? Have you had that that spiritual amnesia where you kind of forgot, like, oh yeah, God is here. God is right with me. God is at work in all the details of my life. Verse 13, Gideon says, well, hey, if you're with us, why are all these bad things happening? Have you ever wondered that? God, if you're really at work, why are all these bad things happening? And God answers him. And he says, you know what? Here's what you got to do. I'm going to send you out. And as you go out, Gideon, you're going to do a great work, and I am with you. I am going to do this work in and through you. So often, fear is connected to what we think that we need. Fear is connected to what we think we need. It's connected to what we value. It's connected to what we treasure. And so if I fear physical pain, I want comfort. If I fear being criticized, 
then I want to, to be approved and liked by others. If I fear um, being rejected, I'm, I'm wanting to be attractive, I'm wanting that acceptance. Gideon is questioning, God, what are you doing? And we have a choice. Are, are we going to believe our emotions or are we going to believe the word of God? Which one of us, which one of those is going to be the authority in our lives? God says, you go in strength. You go. You save Israel. I am with you. I'm sending you out. Gideon has a, a family problem. He says, look, I'm from the weakest clan. And, and out of the weakest clan, I am the weakest of the weakest. I think you've got the wrong address, God. It's, not, it's, it's clearly not me. There's somebody else out there. They're way bigger. They're way stronger. And God says five words that are really practical for you and I to hear. Five words to Gideon. I will be with you. Gideon, I will be with you. Go and do this work. And as we are facing the fears of our lives, the worries, the concerns, the phobias, we need to be reminded that God is with us. The same truth that was true for Gideon is also true for you and I. In the midst of fear, you and I need to know that God is with us. Your fears identify your beliefs. They're attached to what we value. Think about that. When you're afraid, what is it the thing that, that you are valuing? What is it the thing that you're worrying about? What is the thing that's important to you? Your worries identify your beliefs. What do you value? What do you love? What's important to you? Gideon says, God, it feels like you've, you've abandoned us. It feels like you've totally left us. God says, no, I'm sending you to save Israel. You're going to be an instrument. I'm going to use you. Your fear reveals what you believe about God. It also reveals what you believe about yourself. See, Gideon believed, hey, I'm not really significant enough. I'm not important. And God says, you know what? Your abilities, your, your significance has nothing to do with the skills you have has nothing to do with your family background, has nothing to do with your IQ, has nothing to do with your talents. Your significance comes from, I am with you. The fear of these Midianites is not a big deal because God is with you. God is a part of this plan. The two lies Gideon believed are intertwined, and it starts with a lie about God and a lie about himself. He believed that God had left. He believed that he had abandoned them. He said, I'm not a mighty warrior, but God had radically changed his identity. Look how Gideon replies, verse 17. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, 
give me a sign that is really you talking to me. I think he wondered, like, okay, God, is this really you? I mean, if you're sitting in your room and you hear the voice of God, you might run some tests too. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. In order to battle fear, we must focus on who God is and who God says you are. And that's exactly what Gideon does. He looks at God and he realizes you are sovereign. In the midst of fear, in the midst of worry, in the midst of everything that is happening in my life, God, you're in control. You're in control of all these details. And you are the God of peace. And also, it focuses on who you are. How has God radically transformed you? Do you have a new identity as a follower of Christ? If you've never placed your faith in Christ, God says, here's some things that are true about the unbeliever. They're spiritually blind. They're spiritually dead. They're far from God. And they're his enemy. And as you place your faith in Christ, you become his son, his daughter, you're adopted, you're forgiven, you're pleasing to God, you're his workmanship, you are holy, you are blameless, you are a new creation. Your identity is radically changed. That's your identity. So as you stand in the midst of fear and worry, remind yourself of who God is and who you are in Christ. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into the minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God, what comes to mind? Is it love? Is it distance? Is it mercy? Is it anger? What comes to mind when you think about God? Imagine you're sitting in a room and you hear God talk to you, you start to, you're reading scripture and he is, you're seeing it's clear as day. This is what I need to do. You know, one of the strategies for dealing with fear and worry 
is that we would be overtaken by something or someone more important than the object of our worries. And that's what Gideon has done. He's been overtaken by God, who is more important than his fear. All of that is changing how he views the situation. So he runs this test, and he perceives, this is God. I'm in the presence of God, and God is going to help me. Before this, I don't even know if Gideon believed God existed. If he did, he thought God had abandoned him. He didn't think God was loving and caring. So he sees God through what he is doing in his life. He realizes God is with me right now. You know, so many times when I am consumed with fear and worry, I believe some lies about God. Example, when I would run a student ministry event, a big event, my desire would be that lots of students would come. And I would evaluate whether or not that event went well or poorly by how many students came. And I would evaluate how good I was as a youth pastor. What does that say about God? It says that I am big and he is small. Your value and your significance is not determined by what you do. Your value and your significance is determined by the identity that he has given you. God is big. He is huge. And as we are consumed by fear, we need to remind ourselves, no, he is with us. So what are the lies that you believe about God? What are the lies that you believe about yourself? If you're afraid to serve, do you, do you think that God could give you the strength and abilities to do that? Do you think that God has brought you to this campus for a purpose so that he could use you? Do you ever question that? You're afraid to give, thinking, well, well if I give, I won't be able to pay these bills, but how big is God? Are you afraid to share your faith? Are you afraid to, to walk over to somebody, a stranger, and say, hey, I see this going on. Can I pray with you? What are you afraid of? What does that say about God? What does that say about what you believe about God? So the first thing we said we need to do is focus on who God is and who God says you are. Let's look at the second thing. Verse 27. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down. And the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked to each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? 
Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when somebody breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal. That day saying, let Baal contend with him. Gideon, out at night, afraid, brings 10 of his friends with him in the middle of the night, tears down his altar. One of the things that Gideon does is he does something scary. So if you want to overcome fear and worry, you need to do something scary for God. He obeys God's word. He's not just being reckless. He knows God said to do this. And walking in obedience takes courage, takes boldness. What if I share my faith and they laugh at me? What if I invite them to church and they never talk to me again? What if I do serve and I don't do so well? What if I do give financially and we do struggle? What if, and fill in the blank, are you willing to radically obey what God has already said in his word and do it? See, Gideon started out bravely obeying what God had said within his own family destroyed and tore down those idols. What are the idols in your life that need to be torn down? What are the idols that need to be torn down and thrown out so that we can truly follow God? Where do you need to obey God? You want to know the will of God? Open up your Bible. And follow what he says. Do that. Let's focus on we need to do better. I need to do better. Just following God's word, what he has said clearly. Gideon is brave enough to do the job, but he can't do it alone. He grabs some of his friends, and he goes and he does it. You know, almost every decision I've made out of fear has been the wrong decision. Not every time. But so many times when I make a decision based on fear, it's the wrong decision. So how is Israel going to defeat the Midianites? Jump over to chapter 7 with me. God comes to Gideon with this amazing battle plan. He comes to Gideon and he says, okay, Gideon, how many people do you have in your army? And Gideon says, I have 32,000 people. And God says, okay, go to them and say, okay, who's all afraid? Raise your hand. 22,000 people say, yep, I'm scared. He says, send them packing. Boom. He's left with a third. God says, still, too many people. Now, if I'm getting, I'm like, too many people? I need as many people as possible. And God says, I'm going to do this crazy-looking water test. Go down, have them drink water, and I just want you to watch them. Don't take the guys who stick their face in the water like dogs. 
and he dwindles down this army to 300 people. And so Gideon has to go through these 10,000 people and says, you're gone, you're gone, you're staying, you're staying, you're staying. And God uses this situation to build the faith of Gideon, to be a leader, to go and tap people on the shoulder saying, you're staying, you're staying, you're gone. Down to 300 men. And as these people leave, these 300 men, they go and they gather these provisions and they gather the trumpets from the leaders. Only the leaders would have had trumpets. And now 300 people have trumpets. It's pretty crazy because if you were a leader, you would have been in charge of 100 people. So keep that in mind. As these people are sending them home, they're grabbing their stuff, they're grabbing their trumpets. Verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. So 300 men have trumpets. Each of those 300 men, if you were, would, would have been seen as a leader. Typically, a leader would have overseen 100. What's 300 times 100? 30,000. How many men did Gideon start with? 32,000. So Gideon has 300 men, and it's going to sound like he has an army of 30,000. This is what God is doing. Now the camp of Midian lay below in the valley, verse 9. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites the Amalekites and the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. Gideon is a new man. The second thing we need to do to fight fear and worry is worship. And he just gets down on his knees and he is worshiping God. Worship is the key. Worship helps us move from the fear of man to the faith in God. That's what Gideon is doing. He is fighting fear. His, the fear of the Lord is growing here. His awe and reverence of God is growing, and he is fighting fear with fear. 
as he worships God. He takes the 300 men and he divides, up, divides them up into three different groups. 100 this way, 100 this way, and 100 this way. And he says, everyone's going to take a, a torch. You're going to put a jar over it. And we're going to go at the beginning of the middle watch. So it's the beginning of the middle watch. The, the watchman is alert. He wants them to be alert on purpose because they're going to break these torches or break these jars and all of a sudden they're going to hear this loud crashing and smashing and they're going to shout. And all of a sudden they're going to look around, they're going to see all of these torches and they're going to hear 300 trumpets and they're going to think that there's 30,000 men surrounding the camp and all mayhem breaks loose. And they run, and they scatter. And as they are running, God uses this, that they are crying and running, and the Lord causes the Midianites to actually turn on each other, and they destroy each other. I mean, this is an amazing plan, that if this goes wrong, this is going sideways quickly. And God uses a fearful man to invoke fear into the enemy. This is the guy who wanted the biggest group. This is the guy who was hiding in the cave, threshing wheat. And God is with him. Corey Ten Boom says, never be, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. God knows every single detail of your life, and he's at work in every single one of those details. And as you and I are afraid, as we wrestle with worry, we need to be reminded of who God is. He is sovereign. And we can worship him. You know, fear and worry, they have a way of creeping into our lives, don't they? So how do you fight that? What do you, what do, you do practically? First thing I would say is identify what that fear is and start thinking about what does that fear say about what you believe about God? What does that fear say about what you believe about yourself? What are the lies you're believing about God? Identify them. Second thing I would say is pray through Philippians 4. Let's put Philippians 4 on here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in what situation? Every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Make your request known to Him. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what do you do? Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, from Paul, or seen in me, what do you do with it? Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I highlighted a couple things. Prayer, think, practice. That if you want to overcome fear and worry, the first thing you need to do is pray rightly. 
And as you pray rightly, go to God and say, God, you know what? The things I'm thinking about right now, they're not true. They're not pure. They're not lovely. I am overwhelmed, God, by fear and worry right now. God, I am I'm so conflicted by, by life right now. I am, I'm angry. I'm discouraged. Whatever it is, and go to God and pray rightly. So many times we pray and we just say, God, just take this away. God, just take this away. Remove this. Pray. And that start thinking rightly. God, help me renew my thoughts. Help me to think on things that are true, pure, lovely. Here's what scripture says is true about me. Here's what scripture says about is true about our God. And then act rightly. Paul says, put it into practice. Third thing you can do is memorize or meditate on scripture. My challenge to you is to take some three by five cards and write out Psalm 27 or Psalm 46. Just write it out and review those verses this week. Review those Psalms 25 times this week. Even if you're bad at memorizing scripture, if you review it enough, it'll still be in your mind. You might not remember every single word and phrase, but it will be in your mind. Last thing you could do to apply this is pick a song, a worship song that you could sing to yourself when you're afraid or when you're worried or when you're discouraged. If you like old hymns, Blessed Assurance or Amazing Grace. If you like newer songs, 10,000 Reasons or Death Was Arrested. Play those songs, sing them to yourself over and over and over again. Those are ways that we can practically fight fear and worry. So we battle fear by one, focusing on who God is and who he says you are, and we battle fear by worshiping him. Let me pray with you. God in heaven, we are amazed by your grace. Recognize that you are amazing. You continue to work all things for good. You continue to provide for us. Even when we're afraid, even when we're worried, you are here. You're with us. I confess so many times I've forgotten that. I've not always trusted you. I've not always walked courageously by faith. And I want to lift up everybody in this campus who has just been consumed with fear and worry. That this week, as they go, they would be reminded over and over and over again that you are with us. And you change who we are. You're working in and you're working through us. Help us to boldly go and make more and better disciples. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.